Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief with the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and the IASC President in 2017 to 2018. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now a Chief Executive Officer of Emergency Services Consulting International, or as we like to go by, ESCI. And this is the iChiefs Podcast. If you're searching for new ideas, looking to improve your leadership skills, and wanting to make a difference within your organization, this is the podcast for you. We encourage you to join us as we engage with fire service leaders who discuss the challenges and opportunities facing you and your agency. Well, welcome to the latest episode of the iChiefs podcast series. I'm Tom Jenkins, one of the co-hosts here, joined by my friend Sheldon Gilbert as we talk about wildfire. And in particular, we're talking about some good news in wildfire, and that's the innovation done by two women who have joined us today in in their respective organizations because they're both winners and being recognized um, by receiving uh, wildfire mitigation awards. And wildfire mitigation awards, that, that may not be a subject that everybody is familiar with in the fire service, but that's a very prestigious award in the land of wildland urban interface. It's an awards program that was established in 2014 by the National Association of State Foresters, the International Association of Fire Chiefs, the National Fire Protection Association, and the USDA Forest Service. And it helps demonstrate wildfire mitigation efforts and and really put some emphasis on people that are doing it well and being innovative. And so whether you're a fire chief today from a more urban fire department or a fire chief that is intimately familiar with the problems in the urban interface areas, I think that we have something to share with you today. And so we're excited to have both of them with us. And of course, Sheldon, introduce our guests. All right. It's good to be here today, Tom. And I'll tell you something. This is a timely, timely topic. Uh, we are seeing, and I did my 30 years of fire service experience in the uh, California uh, regions of northern and southern California, and saw some of the most catastrophic fires in history. And, and yet, it continues to worsen. And, and, I, and I know that for a fact, in the in the in the West and even the Midwest, we're seeing uh, moisture levels and fire conditions and, and fuel modeling that we haven't seen ever. And so. Um, this is an extraordinarily timely discussion on the importance of wildfire mitigation, and, and something that's become more prevalent since the uh, big fires of the 80s and 90s, but it's certainly being taken to a new level, and we're really um, honored today to have two guests with us that are really setting the standard on uh, what steps can be taken to, to mitigate wildfire and the loss of wildfire, certainly in the urban interface areas. And we're joined by uh, Courtney Haynes, uh, who is a Western Region Wildfire Council Forrester from Montrose, Colorado, um, and she's a fire mitigation, wildfire mitigation expert and specialist for the Western region for the last three years, and she works with the Colorado State Forest Service in a six-county area called the West Region. It's about 5.6 million acres in size, and, and she has exceeded um, all of their targets uh, by enlisting uh, well over 700 residents across 40 at-risk wild urban interface uh, areas, WUI areas. In, in, in these programs that she's going to discuss with us. And, and then we're also joined by Jessica Kirby, uh, who is a natural resource manager in the Snyderville Basin Recreation District in Park City, Utah, uh, another uh, wildland fire area. And uh, she oversees in excess of 2,300 uh, 2, acres of trails and forests. 
um, and has been instrumental in, in adopting and implementing community wildfire protection plans and our sort of FireWise program that certainly the IFC supports and, and, a, and a number of other fuel break and, and, and different types of fuel modeling uh, mitigation. So we're excited to have both of you here today, uh, Courtney and Jessica. And so why don't we start with kind of the problem statement and understanding exactly what was occurring in, in the communities that you serve um, and what you have done. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you've done. So uh, why don't we start with Courtney and then, and then Jessica, you can jump in what she's done and tell us a little bit about your community and its wildfire risk and what was the problem? Why, why did you Im implement these award-winning innovative programs? Great. Thanks so much for having me on today. Um, yeah, so as you mentioned earlier, you know, I'm covering a very large region here on the western slope of Colorado. It's a six-county region, um, about, as you mentioned, 5.4 million acres. Um, so we have lots of different communities that we're working in, um, and most of these on the western slope here in Colorado are rural. Um, you know, we get up to sort of small mountain town size, but, um, you know, we have a lot of homes and people moving to this area on the western slope that are being built in the wild and urban interface or already built in the wild and urban interface. Um, so we have what we call wild, or, sorry, community wildfire protection plans, CWPPs, and many of the communities that I'm working in are identified within those community wildfire protection plans as having either a high, very high, or extreme wildfire risk rating. Um, and so we're working, obviously, with the Colorado State Forest Service and uh, about 24 different fire protection districts across this region to help sort of identify folks and their, and their wildfire risk in this area and also, you know, move them towards reducing that risk through taking mitigation action. Excellent. Thank you, Courtney. Jessica, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about what's going on in the Park City, Utah area and what you're, uh, what you're up against. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, exactly what Courtney said, um, we're dealing with high, very high and extreme wildfire areas as well in Park City. Um, my situation is a little different. I manage um, public open space for the district, and we happen to um, end up with public open space that's adjacent to communities in our in our area. So we're uh, smack in the middle of that, that wooey area. Um, so as good neighbors and good stewards to the communities that are in our area, um, my position and job is to manage the public open space, um, and we're targeting our forested open spaces first and then going to our mountain shrub communities, um, hoping to reduce the fuels and fire and, and set a good example for our communities so that they can look up um, at the public open space and see examples of what it looks like to do thinning and patch cutting and um, shaded fuel breaks and motivate our communities um, to, you know, follow our lead and to be able to see what it looks like. A, a lot of our um, residents in our area are really, you know, moved to the mountains because they want to have trees next to their homes and they, they want that woodland feeling. Um, and they're a little bit nervous when you say, you know, to go and do that mitigation. And so the district is really taking a position of, of showing examples and setting the lead for our communities so that they can then go up and see and, and, and follow our lead. Well, Jessica, while we're on that topic, you know, so receiving a, a, a WMA award, a wildfire mitigation award, is a, that's a big deal. So to, to fire chiefs out there and, and leadership within the fire service and the wildfire environment that's listening, what, what did you do in the Snyderville Basin Recreation District that was innovative enough uh, to receive an award? Tell us more about that. Sure, great question. 
Uh, first of all, I am still taken back by this, this award. It's such an honor, and I'm so grateful to have received it. And it really is motivation for our community to get an award this size because we're, we're really um, at the forefront of, of starting these kind of treatments in, in my area. Um, it's, we're in a unique situation where most of our community is either privately owned um, or there's a couple handfuls of state property or county property. So we don't see the influence of the U.S. Forest Service treatments in the Snyderville Basin. Um, and so it really took a great effort of creating partnerships in our area, um, you know, reaching out to the Wildlife Division, reaching out to the, uh, the State Forestry Division, getting those local fire department on board, and then reaching out to our local HOAs and, and trying to create these um, you know, big collaborations where we all had the same page, or we were all on the same page, and we all had the same focus. Uh, the neighborhood that's adjoining the property that I was nominated for for the work we did, um, you know, is a Firewise community, and it has a CWPP. And you know, since uh, since then, they've they've struggled to get folks on board. And so, you know, seeing that in the community and recognizing that I could be um, an influence to help motivate this community is, is why I got nominated. It's just, it's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, a lot of folks in this area think that it's not going to happen here. We haven't had a large wildfire in this area of Utah in a really long time. Um, but I have personal experience of losing a home. I lost, I lost my home in uh, the Hayman fire in Colorado in 2002, um, which at the time was the largest wildfire on Colorado record and that's been beaten almost every year since then. Um, it can happen. It happens very quickly. Um, you get locked out of your home. You lose everything that you own. And um, we happen to live in an area in Turkey Ranch where we border the U.S. Forest Service. And I just feel as a land manager now I have an obligation to, you know, do our part on the protected open space side to be that good neighbor and that good partner for the neighborhood to, you know, see if we can do what we can. You know, we're not going to stop a catastrophic wildfire, but we can do things that will slow it down and mitigate. Oh, that's impressive, just that level of collaboration. And I like that you said the the homeowners associations, that uh, too often I think we think that making a difference has to be these this large scale. But, yeah, it makes sense that the, the more personal people understand the problem, uh, the more likely we are to make a difference. Courtney, your work in Colorado um, also impressive. Just reading, uh, you know, the information about your award. But tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. Yeah. I think um, I just want to chime in on a little bit what Jessica said there too. That you know, we we've talked a lot about partnerships. Both she and I have talked a lot about partnerships through our work. And clearly, she's you know working in an open space scenario and and trying to be good neighbors. And then I'm really focused on helping folks on the other side, on the private side of the fence, um, you know, keep sort of moving towards mitigation. But it really does take all of us. <laughs> it takes, you know, state, local, national, private, you know, everybody on every side of the fence to sort of continue to work towards this effort. Um, so what I've done here in Colorado at the West Region Wildfire Council is really focus on our two programs that engage directly with private landowners. Um, and so since 2018, when I when I first came on board, we were actually heading into one of, at the time, was one of the worst wildfire seasons um, that we had in Colorado. And so we actually have this wonderful 
a sort of phenomenon happening here where private landowners, for some reason, know about our organization and know about sort of the services that we provide to them, um, and they take us up on that offer. So we have what we call our site visit program, which basically travels around this six-county region and meets one-on-one with homeowners and, you know, specifically tries to address their wildfire risk. We've we've done a lot of research in our organization through partners of ours to try and figure out what motivates people to actually take action. Um, and I think what we've realized is that they really need very specific uh, examples or, or sort of rules of, of things to follow in order to get them to actually sort of move the needle and make their property safer. So our one-on-one site visit program is something that we've focused on, um, and I've met with hundreds of those homeowners. I think what the reason I was nominated, and, and very surprisingly to me, was that I was sort of able to keep up with the demand of incoming requests, and we tend to find that during you know scary wildfire seasons, people tend to pay attention more, um, and they want to take action more. So the, the want to take action is there, and, and it was really just me being able to keep up with the demand or the incoming demand that I think was uh, why the reason I was nominated from collaborating that I work with. Um, we also have a vegetation management cost share program, which prov- provides some financial incentive to homeowners to help them actually follow through with mitigation uh, through the vegetation management component. And that's really been a focus of mine as a forester. Uh, like I mentioned, I'm, I come from the Northeast, and I have worked as a consulting forester with loggers um, up in that region. And so moving to Colorado and, and working in this sort of wildfire scene, I felt it was really important to foster that relationship with our loggers and our, our sort of vegetation management contractors. They're really the ones who help implement and get this work done on the ground, on the private side. Um, and so I was able to work with a couple of other partners to put together a contractor workshop that was really focused on inviting sort of our most frequent uh, loggers and contractors to a sort of a seminar that we held for them that educated them on the reasons why we're having them cut trees to certain distances and manage the fuels in the way that we're prescribing it on the ground. So they really also understood sort of the wildfire scenario um, and fire behavior and how it would likely be altered on a person's property through the work that they're doing and the incredible work that they're doing. So we manage a contractor list of somewhere on the order of 150 different contractors in this western region, and I think we had about 50 of them attend this workshop. And it was just another good indication that people are paying attention. They want to make uh, action or take action to sort of move the needle in the positive direction on this issue. And it takes everybody from all walks of life and across all sides of ownership to be able to make a difference out here. So tell me more about the cost share program. I think that's pretty unique, and, and there's not too many fire chiefs that, that don't understand some piece of the WUI puzzle. And one of the biggest obstacles is just getting people to, to take it seriously and take action. So how is that funded? How does that work and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, this program has been sort of developed over the last sort of 10 to 12 years, and I think at this point we would consider it a, a really big success. Um, you know, on, we do somewhere on the order of 200 to 500 acres of fuels reduction work in, in one season through this program. But essentially what it is is that it's a technical and financial incentive program to aid homeowners in sort of every step from A to Z to get mitigation work done on their property. Um, so we have a person on staff who's, who's basically full-time job 
in addition to keeping all of us employed here at the West Region Wildfire Council, is to, to basically bring in funding that, that rolls through this program. Um, and that comes from federal partners, it comes from state partners, it comes from local partners, um, but basically we have this pot of money every year that we put together um, and turn those dollars directly over to homeowners uh, once they've completed their mitigation project. Um, so we act as the project administrators. I'm responsible for going out and meeting with homeowners, talking to them, as Jessica mentioned, about the trees that they might be a little bit uh, not willing to, to cut because, you know, they moved to that property because it was forested and sort of working through them, th working through with them on figuring out the steps that they need to take to create defensible space around their primary residence. Um, and then we help like I sort of mentioned, work with those loggers or those vegetation management contractors to actually get the work done on the ground. So once a homeowner has gone through all of the steps of our program, they're eligible for up to a 75% reimbursement of the actual cost of hiring that professional contractor to do the work. Um, so we think it's a pretty big financial incentive. Um, it also, like I said, provides that technical assistance to the homeowners because they may not be able to do the work themselves or they may not know where to start. So we're essentially there to help walk them through every step of the program. Um, and we're incredibly fortunate that every year we continue to go after, you know, state, federal, local grant dollars and bring those in and, and be able to sort of replenish this pot of money that's then available to these homeowners. That is um, really innovative and great stuff to, to, to leverage the, the concern and the interest of the community to get them involved and then to, to allocate and do some cost sharing with uh, alternative funding sources are, are really key elements that I think have taken the, uh, mitigation measures in America to new levels that, that we just didn't used to do it this way. And, and I think it's becoming more and more effective as folks like you continue to take it to the next level. Um, and mitigation is such a huge part of the, the whole chain of dealing with wildland fires and urban interface fires and certainly the prevention, the mitigation, the response, the four or five party agreements that are necessary between local, regional, state, and national partners are all huge parts of this. Um, our, our former U.S. Fire Administrator, Keith Bryant, who, who also is a former uh, president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs and a great friend of this podcast, once said that wildfire is the largest threat facing America's fire service. And, and we certainly have for many years been dealing with the America Burning Report and addressing fire deaths and firefighter safety and centered a lot around structural and, and high density and, and, and human risk type fires. But we are finding that wildfires are becoming much more prominent, much more severe, much more impactful to the economy, much more significant with community life loss and quite honestly firefighter injuries and life loss. So would you agree with that statement that, that wildfire is the largest threat facing America's fire service? And, and, and if so, why? why don't, Jessica, why don't you start with this one and then we'll, we'll let Courtney weigh in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for asking. I I do agree that wildfire is now the biggest threat for the American Fire Service, um, and and mainly from my perspective is because of how the um, development is encroaching so quickly into our forested lands, into our Rui communities, and you know just specifically um, speak to Summit Park area where this project that I worked on is located. It's you know it's a box canyon. There's only one way in, one way out. And part of our um, project was to create a, another egress out of this neighborhood. There's, you know, 1,500 um, community members um, and then another two adjacent communities in this area that didn't have a second way out. Um, and looking at that threat for the, fi the wildland firefighters, 
we really focused on creating and maintaining these egress areas out of the neighborhoods so that it gives everybody an opportunity, not just the firefighters, but the neighborhoods to, to escape if, if and when the fire comes. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Uh, we certainly have seen such an encroachment into the urban interface area with buildings and housings and, and street uh, streets and, and different types of travel uh, ways that are having access and egress issues. I think of the Paradise Fire in California, a community I'm reasonable, mm -hmm. reasonably familiar with, that um, that was exactly the problem, a box canyon with limited access and egress. So, um, Courtney, what are you seeing? Do you agree with that statement? Is, is this where we need to be focusing some of our efforts or a lot of our efforts and a lot of our resources to ensure the community safety as well as the firefighting force's safety? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I mean, I think this wildfire topic is what I consider to be a, a pretty big umbrella topic in terms of natural resource management and sort of human life concerns. Um, and so what I mean by umbrella is that there are a lot of other things that are important to us and to the natural resource world that I think are sort of becoming more problematic or at risk or threatened because of the wildfire scenario that we're now facing out here. Um, so, you know, we're, we're looking at things like watershed health and resiliency, you know, pre and post fire. Um, we, we definitely take into consideration agricultural concerns and forest health concerns. And then, as Jessica mentioned, you know, really the infrastructure piece, the safety factor, um, and, you know, critical infrastructure, you know, power grids, all of these things are really tied up to how we live on the landscape, um, and it's definitely being at risk or, or threatened because of these really intense, extreme, um, and more frequent wildfires that we're seeing on the western slope. So, you know, I think, I mean, all across the western U.S. right now, we're having a pretty extreme drought. We're having some pretty high uh, temperatures for this time of year. And, you know, I think it definitely is something that we're going to need to be paying attention to and paying attention to very closely and really taking some action now to, to help reduce that risk of life, both to the folks who, you know, fight the fire, but also to the folks who are, are living essentially within this, this pretty risky type of, uh, of scenario. One of the things that uh, catches my attention with both of you is that I can hear the passion in your voices. And, and it makes sense that you're award winners because uh, oftentimes in this business and probably any discipline out there, any occupation, uh, the people that make a difference are the ones that you know show up every day, dig deep, and, and have a passion, true passion for what they're doing. And um, I, I just want to compliment both of you. Now, uh, one of the obligations we have on this podcast series is that our primary listeners are fire chiefs. And while many of them are from the, the western United States, which are just more familiar with the, the wooey topic, some of them, like myself, don't, don't work in areas where the wildland-urban interface is a day-to-day -day concern. When uh, Chief Bryant uh, made that quote that Sheldon uh, uh, read to you and asked for your comment on, it, it struck me as an opportunity for me to be a better fire chief by recognizing and understanding that just because I don't have a wooey problem today, it doesn't mean that that's not going to change over time. And so I want a few takeaways and recommendations from you. That Our listeners are a lot of fire chiefs, that, are, that, that at least the majority of them are like myself. It's, it's not something we have the vast experience like Sheldon did in his career in California. So for you all as you know, a, a natural resources manager, as a forester, what, what 
nuggets or takeaways might you share to fire chiefs that are listening to this podcast, whether or not they experience wooey every day, that might help them be a better fire chief? What's what? What are some recommendations that you have there, Jessica? I'll start with you. Yeah, thanks. This is a great question. Um, I I like to kind of describe myself as just dangerous enough to uh, know what I'm doing, but I <laughs> I, uh, so I took forestry <laughs> classes in in school and I. I took land management classes, and so I dabbled in all these things, and so I, I heavily rely on, on the fire chiefs um, to help me through this process and the foresters in the area and the wildlife um, department. Um, but I think, you know, my project started on a forest health note, and I think it was something um, that I brought to this project and kind of opened the eyes of some of the folks that I was working with because we weren't just thinking about fuels reduction. We were thinking about the health of our communities and the connection and, you know, Courtney spoke to it. It's, it's the wildlife and it's the watershed and it's the aesthetics of the area and it's your community. And in my community, people move here because they want to live in the mountains. And so they get really threatened by um, mitigation and, and they don't want to lose that aesthetic value. But I think it's really important to sell this as, as a forest health issue. It's, it's, a, it's a community health issue and it's a mental health issue. As we all know, you know, during COVID, going outside really saved people. Um, so keeping those things in mind, um, you know, stepping a little bit outside of your own, your own box um, of knowledge and, and thinking about that, you know, the connections and, you know, the, the circles that all this makes and that everything we do is going to impact um, the other things that are in, the, in our natural area. And just to be proactive, I mean, being proactive is a far less costly than um, having to mitigate after a fire um, so I think those are my, my takeaways and recommendations I could give. Jessica, thank you very much for those comments. That's spot on. Courtney, how about you? What are some takeaways that you might recommend for fire chiefs out there? Yeah, thanks for asking. I think, um, you know, since we have a captive audience in our fire chiefs, I will say that for, you know, the regions that I work in, our fire protection districts are definitely a key player in this wildfire scenario, regardless of whether or not they're operating exclusively within WUI communities. But, you know, we find that they are the local trusted officials, um, and they can really make a difference in terms of, uh, you know, listening to residents' concerns and and helping reassure residents or or guide them into taking action um, because they are sort of that local on-the-ground person that, you know, everybody trusts the fire department, (laughs) fire protection district. So they're a huge asset to this. Um, I think, you know, the one thing that we're seeing, especially here in, in western Colorado, is that the western slope used to be really regarded as this, you know, pretty rural landscape. And we definitely have seen, uh, you know, the wooey becoming bigger and growing more quickly than we probably were anticipating. Um, and that the wildfire issue also isn't really, um, might be surprising folks by saying this as a forester, but, you know, it's not just about the vegetation management piece. It's not just about creating defensible space. Homes that are, you know, miles or quarter of a mile or half a mile away from an encroaching flame front are still at risk uh, from wildfire because of this ember issue and this ember inundation issue. Um, so that really speaks to the built environment and, and the way that people are building homes and living in homes that have built been built in these wild and urban interface communities or intermixed communities. So um, I think that's the other sort of thing that we haven't spent too much time talking about. It's something that somebody else within my organization is, is really their primary focus. But 
um, you know, I think we need to be paying attention to the types of homes that are being built in these areas. Uh, you know, building codes and, and management of these homes is, is going to play a key part in this overall picture, and I think that that's something that gets left out of these discussions a lot of the times, and, and that would be a big takeaway for mine. So, you know, we, we are certainly incredibly grateful and thankful for all the folks who are on the, you know, forefront of the lines fire, fighting these fires. Um, but as Jessica mentioned, you know, taking action in advance and doing this mitigation work um, can look like a lot of different things and incorporate a lot of different things. And it's really, you know, combining that built environment with the vegetation management piece, I think that's going to be sort of the ultimate success. Well, we've been listening and had the pleasure of interviewing Courtney Hayes with the uh, West Region Wildfire Council and Jessica Kirby with the Snyderville Basin Recreation District. And they're both recipients of the Wildfire Mitigation Awards, which are the highest national honor that somebody can receive for the work in wildfire mitigation. We appreciate both of you being with us today. For our listeners that want to learn a little bit more about the Wildland Urban Interface, we encourage them to visit the IAFC's website and the Wildland Urban Interface Committee at iafc.org slash wildland. The awards will be presented to both Jessica and Courtney for their efforts at the Wildland Urban Interface Conference that is being held in person this year, November 14th and 15th in Reno, Nevada. I'd encourage people to consider attending. That's a wonderful conference. Until we visit again, this was the latest episode of the iChiefs podcast series. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for this iChiefs podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Spotify, where you can subscribe and be sure to never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes, or you could simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next month. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.